0: Well, guys, today we're going to be looking at Proverbs chapter 5, Proverbs chapter 5. The entire chapter is really about relationships and sexuality. And like everything in the book of Proverbs, um, really everything in the book of Proverbs is about two paths. There's the path of folly and the path of wisdom. The path of folly leads to self-destruction. And the path of wisdom leads to a Christ-exalting life and a joyful life. Now, I know what some of you are immediately thinking because I said that the chapter is about relationships and sexuality. Um, So I'm talking to the kids right now. So if you're a kid, if you're a, a teenager or younger, even if you're a teenager, like, I'm not a kid. Well, you're somebody's kid. And so if you're a kid, God has either made you a man or a woman. He's made you a boy or he's made you a girl. He made the first people, Adam and Eve, man and woman as his image to be representatives on earth. So your gender, being a boy or a girl, your gender is part of who God made you to be. It's not an accident how people were made. It's God's job to determine these things, not our own. And God made men and women to go together, a man and a woman, to go together as one. And we culturally refer to this as marriage. And the result of that union is, generally speaking, children. And what I want you to know up front is that this is God's gift of being a man and a woman together in marriage. And this is what we're referring to, kids, when we talk about sexuality. See, relationships and intimacy carry this tension of freedom and framework. And so as we're talking about these things today, as we're wrestling through the Proverbs chapter 5, realize that is the tension here, a tension of freedom and framework, freedom and framework. It's kind of like God takes a husband and a wife, and he puts them in a backyard with a fence and a playground. And he encourages them to run around, to be creative, play floors lava, play on the seesaw. It doesn't really matter. You can play anywhere in the backyard, but stay within the confines that God has established. And to play within those boundaries will lead to joy and it will lead to fun. And to climb the fence and go outside, God's intention leads to danger and self-destruction. That's what this chapter of Proverbs is all about. Now, there's two types of people in this room, not just with relationships and sexuality, but there's two types of people in this room in every area of life, right? I'm going to psychoanalyze all of you right now. Some people love rules. People who love rules sometimes forget to have fun. (laughs) Some people hate rules. (laughs) Some people love rules. Some people hate rules. People who hate rules tend to think that no one's going to tell them what to do. And so they want to hop the fence. All of us fall in one camp or the other. I'm almost 100% Austrian. Can you guess which camp I'm in? I love rules. Just tell me what I'm supposed to do and not do, and I'll follow the rules. So why do I say this? Because as people, we were created to fall in love. We were created to be romantic. We were created to, uh, to be who God made us to be. God gave us marriage as a gift. He gave us marriage as a man and a woman as a gift. And he gave us a, p- a playground for that relationship. And when we walk in God's ways, when we listen to what he has to say about our relationship, we can enjoy the good gifts Of relationships sexuality and marriage and it will bring and can bring the greatest of joys and you say well there's no guarantee in that if both parties are walking forward in that created design yes I can guarantee that because the purpose of marriage is designed to look to Christ and so God wants us to have healthy marriages healthy relationships so that we can greater appreciate the gospel But when we disregard God in this area, it is a disaster. And it always ends with problems. After all, marriage is designed to look to Christ. And so when we disregard everything that God has to say about marriage, then we cannot be shocked when our marriage falls apart. Pastor Ray Ortland put it this way. Your relational intimacy is like fire. In the fireplace, it keeps you warm. Outside of the fireplace, it burns the house down. That is the tension of freedom and framework that we're talking about today. So Proverbs chapter 5, you can feel free to read along with me. And I want to underscore that I have gone to great intention to choose my words carefully, parents, if you're afraid right now. My kids are here as well. Proverbs 5, my son, be attentive to my wisdom, Incline your ear to my understanding that you may keep discretion and that your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, which means poison. She is sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander. And she does not know it. So the author here is a dad, and he's talking to his son, and he's warning them, warning his son. He's encouraging his son to listen to what he has to say. Now, um, does anybody remember who wrote the book of Proverbs? Solomon. If anyone knows a little something about relational and sexual sin, it's Solomon. The dude had over a thousand wives, Okay. Emma's learning about fractions right now in math. One one one-thousandth of your heart given to a person is no bueno, okay? In other words, he didn't have any good relationships, most likely. Sexual temptation, not just sexual temptation, not just relational temptation, but all temptation, looks and smells, and even at the first taste, is like honey. You think it's going to be sweet. You think it's going to give you a little burst of energy. You think it's going to be exactly what you want, which is going to make your life taste a little better. But what Solomon says to his son is that in the end, it is actually poison. You see, the temptation here that he's talking about is adultery. Kids, that is going outside of God's intended playground of marriage between a man and a woman and going outside of those boundaries for relationships and intimacy. In adultery, what happens is that people step outside of God's created order and they want to play by their, ru- their own rules instead of God's, which, by the way, is exactly what Adam and Eve did in Genesis chapter 3. They said, we don't want God telling us what is good or evil. We would like to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and then we'll be able to decide for ourselves what is good and evil. You see, the tempter, just as in Genesis chapter 3, the tempter knows how to talk in such a way as to make sin appear sweet as to make sin appear worthwhile. But once you partake of it, it is almost immediately like swallowing a sword. And when it comes to sin, any kind of sin, don't be fooled by the appearance of the moment. Don't be fooled by the momentary satisfaction or the temporary pleasure. Why? The aftermath is chaos. When sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. See, the forbidden relationship that we see here in in Proverbs chapter 5, it's seductive, it's charming, it feeds you in all of your insecurities. It makes you feel um, special where you feel insecure. It makes you feel important where you feel undervalued. This is what the adulterous, tempting relationship does. It's the illusion of intimacy without risk. But it results in the threat of death. The sweetness turns to ash in your mouth. Um, Maybe some of you remember Steve McNair, Titans quarterback. Anybody remember Steve McNair? Killed by his adulteress when he tried to break it off. Alexander the Great. Conquered more than any person at that time, maybe since. I don't know. I'm I ain't good at history none. (laughs) Died of an STD. Literally, these things can turn to rot in you, even the threat of death. And so the question is, okay, Bill, well, why do we? I'm not Steve McNair, I'm not Alexander the Great, I'm not even Alexander the Lesser. Like, so what? Why do I need to hear this warning from Proverbs five? And this is the reality. And I say this, I, I'm, I say this to every couple who I counsel. This is the reality. We are all vulnerable, and despite knowing the grace of Christ, none of us is above stupidity. None of us is beyond stupidity. None of us is beyond sinful stupidity. Sin always looks like, always, no matter what kind of sin it is, whether it is self-isolation, whether it is money, whether it is thievery, whether it is adultery, all sin looks like in the moment, this isn't a big deal. Just take what you want. Ask forgiveness later. Cover up your decision. It's not hurting anyone. But these verses warn us that it doesn't work that way. Don't choose the way of death. Verse 7, and now, O sons, listen to me and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her. Do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless lest strangers take their fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. And at the end of your life, you groan when your flesh and body are consumed. This is what happens when your sin catches up with you. This is how you feel. Oh, my body and flesh are consumed. And you say, how I hated discipline. How how my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I'm at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. The point is this. Point number one. Relational and sexual folly destroys lives. By the way, all sin. And this isn't, I mean, even if, fill 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 the blank. Sin destroys lives. And so, what does the uh, teacher, what does Solomon say to do? He says, "Stay as far away from relational and sexual temptation as you can. Don't go near it. If you're not married, essentially, what he's saying is keep your hands and your heart on a leash." This is why the scriptures say, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. It's why there is minimal wisdom. In other words, none in a 12-year-old dating. Okay? Do not arouse or awaken love prematurely. The relationship that God has designed for you to pour out your heart to pour out your romance and to pour out your intimacy is marriage. Not before, not before marriage, not somewhere else during your marriage. It is your marriage, the gift from God that he has given you. Verse eight is the key here. He says, keep your way far from her, her being the tempter. Listen, do not tell yourself that you can get involved just a little and then get clear, no big deal. Nobody will ever know, whether it's dating at too young of an age, whether it's flirting with a co-worker, whether it's flirting with another friend's spouse. Listen, if I am hiring someone who's going to drive a, a very precious cargo across a precarious cliff, and I say to them, look, how close to the cliff can you drive without fall- falling off? And he says, I can get two inches from that cliff. I'm such a good driver. I can get two inches from that cliff. I can careen all over like a BMW uh, video an advertisement. I'll go up and down. I'll go all around. No big deal. And then I talk to somebody else, and I say, how close can you drive to the cliff without falling off? And he says, why would I drive close to a cliff? He says instead, I'm going to go as far away from the cliff as possible. I'm going to hug the inside because I don't want anything to happen. What if I blow out a tire and I go off the cliff? Who do you think I'm going to hire? I don't know if you saw this in the news two days ago. um, Some guy in Florida paid $150 to have a full-on Puma experience. Anybody see that in the news? I shouldn't laugh. He said he wanted to pat its belly and rub its tummy. This is a quote. So the guy who owned the Puma, he had a license to have the Puma, right? And so he took the $150, had the guy sign the waiver and let him in the cage. The Puma ripped his ear off and scalped him. Okay? Stay away from the Puma. It's not complicated. You don't put your head in the lion's mouth and say, sure hope he doesn't shut it. This is what Solomon is saying. He's saying you stay as far away from it as possible. The same way you don't casually play with blasting caps in a room of explosives, you do not play with sin and keep it under control. The enemy wants you to think that you can keep sin under control. You cannot compartmentalize God. He wants all of you. And when it comes to sin, you humble yourself and you give it over to the Lord or you will be humiliated. Humble yourself or you will be humiliated. Relational and sexual foolishness complicates everything. The other people that we hurt with our sin, they become hardened. They become bitter towards us. They become bitter towards God. They become bitter towards another. In other words, we destroy their lives. And Jesus said, if you lead another into sin, it's better for someone to tie a millstone around your neck and throw you in the ocean. When we choose relational sin we wind up hurting other people as well. And we sin against God. It depletes a person financially in cover-ups, in alimony, in blackmail, in lawsuits, and on and on and on. It can destroy you socially in your reputation. It can destroy you emotionally in your conscience. It can destroy your kids, and it can destroy your marriage. Jealousy, hurt, loneliness, regret, insecurity for the rest of your days, shame. The cost is high. This is the cost of relational sin. And you say, well, how does all temptation work? How does this work? What do I need to know to avoid? Satan does the same thing in all situations. Genesis 3 onward, Satan shows the bait and he hides the hook. That's what he does. And the result, as Solomon says here, is that you end up giving, verse 9, your years to the merciless. You wind up giving your years to the merciless. Listen, don't misunderstand what I'm trying to say here, okay? Don't misunderstand. Your gender, your sexuality, those are not the problems. Those are gifts from God. But if you use your iPhone as a bottle opener and then complain that there's scratches on the screen we would call you an idiot because you're not using your phone for its designed purpose your sexuality your relationship your heart has a designed purpose And if you use it for that design purpose within the relational bandwidth that God has created you for, it will be beautiful, it will fill you with joy, and it will be rewarding. And if you use it anywhere else, it's like using your iPhone as a hammer. And so for those of you who are sitting here and you say, well, what about those who have fallen into sexual sin? What about those who have a history of relational folly? You have a friend. And his name is Jesus, the crucified one who knew no sin but became your sin on the cross so that you could become his righteousness. And that's what we see in those verses that we read, a contrite heart, how I hated discipline. Oh, why didn't I listen? That kind of broken, contrite heart is what is needed as we run to Jesus We ask for his forgiveness. We surrender. We give up. We acknowledge that we need to be forgiven. I have ruined my life. Jesus, I need you. And he says, come to me. Verse 15. Drink water from your own cistern. Flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad? Streams of water in the streets? Let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. A lovely deer, a graceful doe, let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. So the first part of this section, essentially um, the advice was, what not to do he says you know steer away from sexual and relational folly and here the teacher is giving advice and this is what he says he says relational and sexual wisdom is a blessing from the Lord and so enjoy the things of God that he's gifted you within the playground established of your marriage so think about what the the, uh, father is saying to his son He's saying to his son, look, are you thirsty? Are you thirsty for romance? Do you have a natural desire for a spouse that you can enjoy? Are these things within you? And God's advice, God's advice is this. Satisfy your thirst by drinking deeply of your spouse's love. So in other words, God is not saying like some kind of fundamentalist without the fun. You know, like the Catholic Church decades ago, which said if you're not procreating, then sleep in different bedrooms, right? What is God saying? He's saying don't white-knuckle your way through life until you're pent up and angry. He's saying no. Rejoice in your spouse. Enjoy your spouse. Let her enjoy you. Enjoy one another as servant lovers who both desire to love and honor the other ahead of themselves. That is how you actually are designed to function within a marriage. In verse 18 He prays God's blessing over their relationship. He says, let your fountain keep on bringing forth water for your spouse to drink. He says, celebrate your wife, celebrate your spouse. Don't grow tired of her. Don't grow lazy toward her. Enjoy her beauty, enjoy her grace. And even as the years go by, if your heart and mind and eyes are in the right place, she will always be the wife of your youth. Verse 19 is a little saucy, I'm not going to lie What is the nuts and bolts of it? He says, enjoy your spouse. Enjoy your spouse physically. When? All the time. He says, husband, this is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians, husband, you belong to your wife. Wife, you belong to your husband. In other words, enjoy one another physically and emotionally. I love how he says, be intoxicated always by her love. Giddy out of control, stumbling around in love for one another. Verse 20, why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman? Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman as opposed to your own bride? Why should you embrace the bosom of an adulteress, verse 19, when I'm telling you to let her breasts fill you at all times with delight? Why should you do that, verse 21? For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all of his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. The third point is this. God wants you to have this wisdom for relationships because he wants you to walk in the path of life instead of the path of folly and death. See, God isn't like a police around the corner with like a speed trap and he's just trying to bust you. No, he wants you to have what is good. He has a plan for you. He wants to give you good things. He doesn't want you to relationally compromise and then have years of regret. He has good intentions for you. Look, all of us have been relational or sexual sinners at some level at some point in time in our lives. And we all know, whether in big ways or small ways, the slavery of it the inescapable regret and shame that it comes with. Outside of Christ, sin touches everything we are. Without Jesus, none of us is perfect. None of us is strong outside of Christ. And so the question is, why should we fight for wisdom within relationships? What does he say? He says, because God sees your heart. So is that like a threat? Like God sees you. You think your parents don't, but God does. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, I don't want you to be ensnared. I don't want you to walk headfirst into a trap. I don't want you to die for lack of discipline. I don't want you to be led astray. In other words, these, these rules that I'm giving you, this playground that I'm establishing of marriage, this is for your benefit. It isn't a punishment. I'm not holding you back from the real fun. I'm trying to tell you this is what God has for you, and it's beautiful, and it's wonderful if you embrace God's perspective on these things. So what if it's too late? What if you're sitting here on a mountain of regret and shame? Well, 2020 gave us a lot of stuff, it gave us two portraits of Christian leaders who were caught in relational and sexual sin. The first was Jerry Falwell Jr. I'm sure you guys read about Jerry Falwell Jr., former president of Liberty University. I won't go into all of the gory details of his sin, his family's sin. But how did Jerry Falwell Jr. respond to his sin? Anybody remember? I'll quote him. You hired a businessman, not a pastor. That was his response. That was his response. Now he's suing Liberty University for defamation. Just this past week, Carl Lentz, the pastor of Hillsong, was removed from office because he committed adultery. When you looked at Carl Lentz's response, he took complete ownership. He said it had nothing to do with anything that his spouse did, that he himself made the decision to sin, and he himself would shoulder the responsibility of it, the need for reconciliation and restitution. In other words, he responded with humble repentance. You can work with that. Jerry Falwell Jr. got his backup, sued the school, and basically said... I'm not a pastor, so I don't need to be held to this accountable level, this level of accountability. Um, That's shameful. It's hard to imagine ignoring the Holy Spirit straight on chewing on your heart in that kind of a situation. And so if you have a litany of sins behind you, Don't mishear what I'm saying. We prayed beforehand with the worship team that those who have long memories of sin would not leave here feeling about a quarter of an inch tall. Because the bottom line is this come to Christ and be forgiven. Come to Christ and be forgiven. If you're here today and you're thinking, my sin is not relational, my sin is not sexual, my sin is something else, and you feel on the brink of disaster, humble yourself or be humiliated. Because one day every tongue or every eye will see and every ear will hear. Every word spoken in secret will be made known. But the humble heart that comes to Christ will be forgiven as a gift of his grace. 1 John 1.9 says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Listen, Satan, Satan, he convicts with a general smothering of sin. You say, Oh, I'm such a loser. I'm so terrible. You feel condemned. The Holy Spirit is a surgeon. That's the difference between condemnation and conviction. Satan just generally goes, You're disgusting. The Holy Spirit, he goes, Do you remember that conversation you had with that person at that time? That was inappropriate. That's how the Holy Spirit convicts, like a surgeon. When the Holy Spirit convicts, we humble ourselves, we own it, and we bring it to the Lord, and he has a never-ending fountain of blood poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. And when you just feel a general, vague condemnation, the words of Scripture are this, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because the law of sin and death has been destroyed by the law of the Spirit and life. All of this, guys, looks to Jesus. Some of you are single, and you say, this doesn't relate to me at all. It does relate to you. Some of you are dating. It relates to you, whether you're a teenager, whether you're an adult. If your relationship is not honoring Jesus, and if it's not walking towards a Christ-honoring marriage, you shouldn't be in it. I don't know how else I can say that. I'm just going to say it bluntly, because that's what I do best. If the relationship you're in is not walking towards a Christ-exalting marriage, you shouldn't be in it. Period. Because that's God's design for you. Because all of this looks to Jesus. He's our true husband. An ideal relationship on earth is designed to make you look forward to the relationship that we have with our groomsman, Jesus. Adultery, reflects idolatry against Christ. And as we should be satisfied with our spouse on earth, so our hearts should be satisfied in Jesus. So the ultimate wisdom is this, and if this is all you get, it's more than enough, all right? Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus as you are because he's better than any temporal pleasure even the ones we discussed today. Jesus is better. Surrender yourself entirely to God and the wisdom of his word and experience the joy, beauty, and freedom of his design.